For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Anshi Spoke Podcast. There is nothing more energizing than a conversation with someone who is smart and ambitious. And that's exactly what we found in today's guest, Joy Altamere. As you know, we typically interview entrepreneurs, but we also want this podcast to tell stories about women across a variety of professions, including those working in corporations. Joy is a successful brand strategist who has worked with companies like L'Oreal, Verizon, Colgate-Palmolive, and Condé Nast before she landed in her current position at EHE Health, a leading American healthcare company who specializes in preventative health. There, she is the chief engagement and brand officer. Joy shares with us in this interview what it's like to be a woman working in a 103-year-old corporation originally created by white males. She talks about what a chief engagement officer does and why she fought for her title. We discuss leadership, mentorship, and raising girls. Joy lives in New York City with her family, and I think you'll love her attitude, drive, and passion for life. I am so thrilled to introduce to you Joy Altamere. So welcome, Joy, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. Nice to meet you. <laughs> excited. Nice to meet you too. I am excited. I mean, I just exposed to you that I have on sweatpants under this top, but <laughs> yes, I'm excited that it's been a tough couple of weeks, both, you know, in our country and, and so it's been, it's, I'm happy to be looking toward a weekend. Yes. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you were just saying before we hit record that you are not used to working at home. 
No, I mean, I am now three, three months in. <laughs> three months into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think about like when in my kind of like 23, 24, I was working from home and I didn't really like it and I didn't understand why then. And now having had this, like, this is not, I don't think typically what working from home looks like because we can't leave our home like for a long period of it. Working from home, you get like, you know, schedule your time, maybe go outside for a walk maybe have meet a friend for lunch outside. This was like atypical working from home in a pandemic with a five-year-old who needs to be homeschooled at the same time. So it was an adjustment for me. And I, I definitely am a person who likes the interactivity with my team, like walking by their office saying, hey guys, what's going on? And so I missed that. Mm-hmm. So working from home, from a scheduling perspective, not so difficult. Once you get the hang of it, once you realize like you can't work from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., no one will last that way. And then scheduling like midday snacks or lunches or even now I live on the, I live in New York on the Hudson. So sometimes I do buy one or one to my team because I don't really need anything to read. I do that as I walk. So trying to get some exercise in as well. So I figured that piece out. It's just I still do crave like adult interaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you and me both. Yeah. Tell us, we need to know more about you. So you are the chief brand officer, which I want to know all about that. But tell us what your job is and who you work for and that you go you go into an actual corporate office every day in non pandemic times In non pandemic times. Right. So yes, I'm Joy Altamari. I'm chief engagement and brand officer, which essentially is a new chief engagement officer was like a new phrase, I think about 10 years ago that people started talking about as relates to marketing. So I'm a marketer by trade, but engagement is really more of how I try to term it because marketing historically has been very transactional. You are just trying to talk at people to get them to buy something. And I really, because I grew up in advertising, really understand consumer behavior, consumer dynamics, really what we say, showing up where they are, like not trying to pull them to you, but just showing up when they need something, really understanding consumer insights that drive purchase or conversion. So to me, that's about creating an engaging conversation. And so I really fought hard with my CEO about when I, I started as VP of marketing, when I got promoted, I was like, I don't want to just be the CMO. Even though it'd be confusing to people, I really want to have my title reflect what I do. And so chief engagement officer is really what I love. The brand piece is because obviously the component of marketing, we're in charge of brand. And then more recently, about a year ago, which makes sense with the engagement title, I do everything marketing, but I also manage the digital product team. So everybody, sans engineers, reports to me. So all the product Mm. owners, all the UX designers, anything that has to do with how a user will interact with our product digitally reports to me. So not just the advertising or the marketing that gets them to the platform, but how the platform functions, what is the call to action, but also what are we developing to ease that conversion online? in that platform. Do we do an app? When do we do an app? What should be in the app? How should we be pushing it? Like everything is under my wheelhouse. So it makes it really, really convenient for us to have an entire user journey conversation because that's what I'm truly involved in, engaging the user at every step of their journey. What is the company that you work for and who is that user? Yeah. So I work for a company called EHE Health. We're based in New York. We're a 106-year-old company. We are a preventive health and primary care company, and we specialize in employee health, meaning we work with employers, big employers, self-insured employers, who really have a finite focus on making sure that their employees are the healthiest they can be. 
And they understand that that starts with prevention. It starts with having a preventive exam every year for everybody, a full thorough preventive exam. So for women, it means going to the doctor every year, not just your gynecologist, not just getting a pap smear and getting a breast exam, but getting your lipids tested because women over the last decade have had the most increase in cardiovascular disease and death because we only go to the OBGYN. We only think about women's health as it relates to fertility. And this is the number one issue in women's health. We, we have, we're dying because no one's looking at our hearts, both metaphorically and literally. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, I love it. Um, but I think, so my job in that system, in that ecosystem is really twofold. I really work really closely with our customers. So the employer, so like we have all the consulting companies in the world. So I work really closely with them to say, hey, your population isn't monolithic. You have 22-year-olds and you have up until 65-year-olds when they, the partners, when they age out. What are their needs? They're different. What, how do we communicate with them? Some really only want digital platform-based communication. Some still want direct mail. How do you properly engage them around health? And how do we engage them in a way that it's not going to force them to go dig for the information? And then we look at, just like any other consumer-based business, persona-based advertising or marketing. What's important to them? And we really believe in the life stage approach. What's important to you in your 20s is different than when you're in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. In your 20s, you're just out of college. You really want to maintain great sexual hygiene. You really want to understand what you should be preparing for as you think about perhaps getting married or having children in your 30s. Okay, let's get your body ready for that. In your 30s, you're probably trying to make partners, so you have a lot of mental stress. So we deal a lot with mental health, anxiety, depression around that. Your parents are aging, so maybe you're in the sandwich generation. And so we help you not only think about your health, but your financial health, your mental well-being, all of those things, because we know that they will affect your overall productivity in life. So that is the kind of synopsis of our company. We didn't start that way. We started as a company just for older white men. It was created by the president at the time, 1907, was created. And he really just wanted to keep older men who look like himself healthy. And then over time, like you guys know, entrepreneurial CEOs, CMOs, they look like us. They're women. Imagine. Imagine, they never would have thought. Um, the business had to evolve, and we also had to think about, it was really physicals at the time. We had to think beyond physicals. Lifestyle behavior change is a huge component of our business. We have these amazing health mentors that meet with you every day for free, and they talk about how you eat, how you think, how you move, and how that's all connected, and how you have to have a plan around all three pillars to lead a healthy, productive life. So how many employees are in this company? So in our headquarters, we have about 200 employees. We have seven own and operated clinics, and those have about 40 to 50 nurses and doctors, clinical staff. And then we partner with like the Langones of the world or the Mount Sinai of the world. They deliver our protocol to our patients as well. So how long have you been with the company? I'm like the oldest person there. So the company was bought four and a half years ago. I was brought in three and a half years ago, almost four years ago now. And I've lived through two, this is my second CEO and a completely new executive team. So I'm still in there. (laughs) So I think this is so interesting because we often or almost always interview women who run their own business. But I love this sort of side that you as a female 
who has the, a mind for marketing and branding. And I love the word engagement when I want to talk about that as well. But you've had to like move into this like basically ancient company that was built for white men. Like what have you, what fights have you had to do? Like how have you tried to bring your influence and your thoughts to this? Like what was that like over these few years? I think that's such a timely question that you're asking because first of all, I never thought I'd be working in healthcare. I worked in consumer makeup, like spirits, all that stuff. So I have, you know, when I think about where I am in this role, there's a lot of things that people automatically kind of are taken aback. And most of them are, I'm a woman, I'm young 40s, I don't have an MBA, I'm leading a marketing team and product team, I'm black, and I don't have a healthcare background. I did not come from right, healthcare. So who are you to do that job? Exactly. Who am I to do this job? Who am I to tell them to think differently? And I said, all those things actually uniquely qualify me to tell you what to do, like Mm. to tell you how to do it. I'm lucky because both my parents are entrepreneurs. So I have that entrepreneurial spirit. I kind of am an operator by design. That's how I think. I'm thinking about all the components, like most of your entrepreneurial guests probably are thinking about all the components. I talk to my CEO every day. He is definitely my work husband, but (laughs) it was a struggle. I mean, I just mentioned earlier that I'm the you know, the longest standing executive, there was a completely different executive team and they didn't like how I spoke, how I acted, both the men and some of the, some of the women, I would say the women just got confused a little bit. (laughs) They they, they went around with the flow. They actually, they were actually very well-spoken, outspoken women too, but I had to deal with a lot of your typical biases, I don't call them unconscious. I feel like you know that you have these biases. Mm. You just don't know that I can see them. But mm. they're the typical biases of like, you know, her tone is abrasive, but I actually said exactly what you just said, you know, or we've never, it's not proven. That's her gut. It's not a proven strategy. Well, we're a scrappy little startup, even though we've been around so long, we changed our complete our business model completely. Where is the data on that? Show me where there's data on what we do. I'm telling you as a marketer for 20 years, this is what I think we should do. And I'm smart. I'm fiscally responsible. We'll do a test first and then we'll invest and pivot where we need to. You know, it's just been, it's definitely been amazing having a CEO who is married to a strong woman who was an entrepreneur and has had, and has five daughters who are all strong in their own right. He's definitely my main supporter in the office. And he is the person that once he's educated on it, he sees it more clearly, he'll call it out. So if, you know, I don't, I tell him often, I don't need you to protect me. I don't want that kind of thing happening where people are like, oh, she's protected. But someone, you know, was definitely being rude in a meeting and he invited him to leave the meeting because he was just being rude to me because I was a woman challenging him as we should on his numbers or his data and why he was basically asking us to invest $2 million in something that did not make sense to me. And so you need both. I feel like women in the in corporate America, women entrepreneurs, you need men and women to come together and say, we will not put up with certain behavior. It's inappropriate behavior. You definitely need both sides. You need men and women championing for equal pay, equal voice, equal rights. I think, you know, for me, it was definitely unexpected. I worked in advertising where advertising is probably one, even though it has its own corrupt behaviors, it really is. If you're good, they don't care what you look like. 
they'll let you go up into a certain point. We know at the higher levels, it's always now a little more political, but that's where I came from. You were encouraged to have a voice and to kind of fight for what you think. And then these more corporate establishments, there's a protocol that I just don't subscribe to that made me kind of on the outs a little bit. Mm -hmm. So Joy, given the fact that you come from an entrepreneurial family, what has helped you determine to work in a corporate role versus being out on your own? Because I, I see the entrepreneur in you and I see that you're yeah, being an entrepreneur yeah. in your company for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think like I feel this tension all the time. Like I, when I've been in a role within an organization or on my own, I'm just, I mean, I am who I am, right? And so how do you, how do you decide where to best use your skills and talents? I think you have to be honest with yourself, Jenny. That's a good question. My my dad asked me that every like three years. He's like, when are you going to go out on your own? (laughs) And I think, you know, having grown up seeing two entrepreneurs, I know that it's not all glory and fame. I, I know that for sure. I've seen it. And I think to be very transparent, it's probably a little fear. So right now, you know, everyone, like a lot of companies, in March, we had to make decisions around furloughing, laying people off, whatever, because, you know, we were not going to have revenue coming in for, as we thought, at least a month turned out to be two and a half months. And those conversations, it's my second time going through kind of like a furlough rift discussion. It is tough. And I felt the enormous gravity of, because I get to know people who support me and are in my team. I know their stories. I know who's got, who has three kids and who's paying for tuition or who has an ailing parent. And you almost have to like not think of those things when you're going at the numbers. If it were my own business, I would probably have gone out of business because I would have been like, we have to keep everyone. Everyone has to get paid. And those are, so I know kind of my flaws around that. I know that it's hard work. You're working 24 seven, seven days a week. It is a second child. If you have children, it's like another child. I think I have to investigate other ways in which to be an entrepreneur because I think I am very tethered to like the example my parents had, which was more retail based. And I think that there is different ways in which I could probably later in life be an entrepreneur, but I don't think I would ever be a person that would have my own business where, you know, 12, 15, 20 people relied on my business for their livelihood. That I think I would not there's not enough therapy, I think, that I can go to to help me like be calm around, you know, decisions that you make. The gravity of that is really, really heavy. But I do like to build. I'm definitely a maker. And I love being in environments that allow me to build. I cannot, I don't ever see myself working in, you know, large matrix organizations where it's more political than doing. I usually have been very blessed to find these more entrepreneurial type organizations that allow you to really get in and there, manage your team and kind of have your own P&L and kind of grow. So I have the, my own business without having to pay for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally get it. Totally get it. I think we're all feeling that in the days of COVID where you, your business is either like off the charts growth or zero revenue, right? So it, it's it's just unprecedented. So I read somewhere that you said negotiation is one of your superpowers. Yes, it is. And not many women are comfortable with it, nor would they ever make that statement. So tell me, tell me all about negotiating. Teach me. Yeah, I learned it definitely in advertising, working in the ad agency world. Everything is a negotiation. You're negotiating with the creatives to do what you need them to do. And, you know, they're mostly artists. And so you're negotiating with them how to, for lack of a better phrase, bastardize their art. Because I need this done in 30 seconds. I need it in a 30-second script and leave room for the 
credits and the promo. Like I, so you learn that in your early twenties because you're negotiating with junior art directors who have this attitude that they're God. So you're negotiating. You learn that early, and then as you progress, I was always often in meetings. I had an amazing boss. I worked for a woman, Carol H. Williams, in in, in California. She created the Pillsbury Doughboy. She was the first woman, like the actual person director. that. Huh. Like she created the, she created so many things like strong enough for a man made for a woman. That's her line. She created all those things. So she worked for Leo Burnett in Chicago. She was the first woman and the first woman of color to have like a senior creative position. And then she went back to California and opened up a small agency. And I was lucky to have come from working at one of the best agencies in Boston. So I worked for this woman, Carol H. Williams, who was fantastic. So she opened an agency in California, a small agency, multicultural-based agency. And it was so small that she basically let everyone in every meeting. If you wanted to learn, she would let you go. And so I learned negotiation really by watching her. She's a very beautiful, tall woman, such a presence. And I watched her negotiate with sensitive creatives, you know, creative directors who just needed to be heard, still getting them to do what they needed to do. And then I watched her negotiate with clients all the time. One of our clients was BP and they weren't paying us what we were worth. And it was time for the renegotiation of our contract. And, you know, her, I remember that our head of finance went into her and was like, this is what we need to ask them for to keep our business afloat and to be able to do everything we want to do next year. And I saw how she, the negotiation first starts with reading the other person. It's more psychology than anything. You have to kind of know who they are and what will motivate them to make them feel like they're winning to give you what you want. Even before that, you have to know what your bottom bottom is, like what you cannot walk out without having. Like to me, that's the number one thing, knowing from salary negotiations to anything, even like in a marriage, like what's my bottom? I can't go below that because I'll be unhappy. And then there's usually like this gap where it would be nice to have, but you don't have to have it. And then the other person can feel like they're giving that up. And so now everyone's compromised. So I watched her kind of do that, like knowing the number that she needed to hit. And then kind of knowing the person she was negotiating with, she was able to start at a place that didn't seem obscene, but there was not going to be such a far drop that she would walk out without what she needed. And I think that most people go into negotiations emotional. And so you're already losing. You're already on your heels. You kind of have to extract the emotion and go in and say like, this is just math. This is just deep. This is just numbers. That's how men do it. I mean, I've watched some men, most men do it. And they literally just go in and they're just like, they throw out the most obscene numbers. And you're like, how are you, how do you have the audacity to ask for that? And they'll come up with some reasons that make no sense. But they'll say it to you and you're like, okay. And then you literally only reduce 5%. I believe in, you know, there's some controversy around this, but I believe in throwing out the number first. Because the first number is either going to go 10, 15% up or down. So I want to throw out the first number in the negotiation. And I'm not going to justify it unless you ask me. And I think most women want to go in and say, you know, I've really been working really hard. They have a right. whole speech plan. No, 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 I think that I've contributed to the company. Let me show you these percentages. And here's my ask. I'm like, no, here's my ask. And I put it out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the first camp there. Be like, let me <laughs> tell you the stories. Yeah. And then and I will tell you what I want. We're trained though. Yeah. Like we're I trained. think that women just follow the rules. We're like, oh, I read that this is how you're supposed to do it. So I'm going to yeah. follow the rules and men and don't follow the rules. I think they read something like, 
I think I think we're both reading this is how you follow the rules, but we're reading different books. Yeah. And that's I think probably that it. and I think like at the end of the day, read everything you want, but like be comfortable to ask for what you know you're worth. And that's literally what Kara taught me. Like be comfortable in relationships, regardless if it's personal or professional or romantic, to demand what you're worth, know your value. But that alone is hard for women to be comfortable, you know, like there's such a fear of like rejection and failure and ugh, so much emotion wrapped in that. I think it's rooted because I think if you read that quote that you kind of maybe read the other piece, I think it's rooted in this feeling of wanting to be liked. Yes. Yes. Don't hate me. Yeah. Women were taught to be liked. We're taught early, early on. Oh, she like the first thing you'll like a guy or if they're like, if you're, if you're setting someone up, you know, the first thing you say is, oh my God, they're really likable. They're really awesome. Like they're really sweet. Like you say all these things, but like they do that professionally for women too. Like when a woman's being introduced to the group, they don't really talk about her qualifications first. They talk about like, she's really, you know, the first thing I noticed about her was her amazing smile or something. They won't talk about like when they introduce a man, they never say that. That's right. how great his hair is. Right. They won't talk about his hair or his great style. That's not the first thing they'll say. They'll talk about he went to this school and he led this team. And so I think it's like we're taught from early on, but then we're nurtured that way throughout our lives. Like, oh, you want to be liked. You want to be like, not necessarily popular, but you want to not be known as a bitch. And I think it's more important to be respected than liked. And I think... And I don't mean like I want to be disliked. It's not my mission to go out and make you hate me. But I want you to respect me, know that I'm competent and capable of doing the job. And sometimes you're not going to like me. Like my CEO now will say, you know, they complain about you, Joy. And I go, but that's Joy. And she gets the job done. And if she were a man, would you complain? Like she's going to call you on it. Yeah, she's going to. And I don't mind being called on it too. That's the thing. I can give it and I can take it. It does hurt. It stinks, <laughs> but I'm the worst to be like, you know what? You're right. I messed that up. You're right. I was wrong. You're right. You're right. I think there's so much freedom in just being like, yeah, you're right. I messed up. Okay, but we're going to pivot and do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we usually want women, we're told, be nice. I mean, I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in the South. So I was told often, just be sweet, Joy. Just be nice. I mean, your name is Joy. Like, just be nice. Mm, right. <laughs> And right. that would infuriate me. <laughs> yeah. Smile. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com. I think the women look external for their worth. How many people like me? How many people, you know, give me compliments as opposed to like finding that self-love and that confidence from an inner belief about who you are and what yeah. you want to do. But it's all about like all your thoughts about you are determined by what other people say. And that's just yep. asking for it, right? People are going to say some horrible, horrible things. That's right. Like I just had a conversation with my daughter. So my daughter's biracial. Her father's Italian. 
and I'm half Jamaican and American. <laughs> and so I had to have this horrible, com- not horrible, but I had to force myself to start having a conversation around how people are going to say things to you and about you for many reasons. You know yourself. Every morning she wakes up and she says, I'm smart, I'm kind, I'm beautiful, I'm intelligent. And I've been doing that with her since she was two because I think it's important for girls to acknowledge, yes, you're smart, you're kind, you are beautiful, like, but beauty comes from within, but you are physically beautiful too. And you're intelligent. And I think it's important for two-year-old girls to know that because when they're 16, when they're 13, and they're being told by girls and boys during that period when they're not so nice to each other, I want her to know that she has everything inside. Mm -hmm. And because she's biracial and considering everything that's happening in our country, I want her to also know that it isn't, no one can put a label on you. People are going to talk about you. They're going to be saying mean things to you. They're going to tell other people things that are not true about you. You know who you are. And you walk with that confidence into the world. I think that's the challenge that we have before us as parents today to make sure the next generation, they're going to have their own other set of baggage because we don't even know with all this technology what's happening to them. But let's at least let them not have that baggage, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's teaching them about thinking on purpose about themselves. Like the thoughts about themselves are incredibly important and they get to choose those thoughts. So I love that exercise that you that you taught your daughter. That's beautiful. I need to do that for me. I want to borrow it from my daughter and me. You, yes. you guys, I do do it for myself too sometimes. I'm like, I gotta go in this Just, meeting. These people are awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm smart. I'm kind of. I'm you know, <laughs> I do it for myself too. No, I love that. I love that. I want to hear about the role that mentorship has played in your life. Yes, I mean, I definitely gave you a little example of, the, of Carol. I yeah. think, yeah, I think I've been very blessed throughout my life that I've had different types of mentors when I needed them. I believe in mentorship a hundred percent. I have mentored and been mentored. My grandmother definitely was my first mentor. She grew up, my grandmother was this beautiful biracial woman as well and lived in the South and raised four daughters by herself. And she was this gorgeous, my daughter's actually named after her. Her name was Ella Geneva. My daughter's Ella Helene. And she just was the most influential woman in my life for so long. She did not let society tell her what she was. She was this amazing seamstress. She's, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. There's a store called Loveman's, which is like the sacks of Loveman's. And she ran the entire seamstress department, wherever you get art alterations, to the point where people would ask for her by name, like the most important people in Chattanooga. And at that time, Atlanta would come and they'd ask for her by name. And I, my mom was still getting her CPA license. And so I would go after school as a young kid and just hang out with her there. And I would see how she would just be such a mentor to the seamstress that worked in that department, both emotionally, like helping them with their confidence and also their craft. And I think that's what peer mentorship is. It's not just helping them with the craft. It's not just opening a door. It's helping them with confidence to help them. You know, you have children. So you, you know, when they're, when you're doing tasks, you go speak with confidence. Like, let me hear you speak with confidence. And so I think about my grandmother and she definitely was one of the first mentors I had because she showed me through her actions how to be a beautiful, smart, intelligent woman. She also was tough, you know, and so she raised four girls by herself and she 
knew how to shoot a shotgun. I know some people hate guns, but in the South, we grew up with them. And so she didn't take anything from anyone, really. She was like, you know, she was the protector. And then throughout my career, I've had great mentors, both men and women, who also taught me to give back. So I was really part of this organization called MAPE which is for people of color who want to get into advertising. When you leave, they ask for you to be a mentor. And I found that to be very fulfilling because mentorship in its best form is teaching both the mentor and the mentee. And so that I thought was really great because I was able to stay close to an industry I loved through the eyes of people who were just entering it and see things kind of new for the first time. But I think mentorship is a responsibility I think on both sides, I, I always tell mentees, when you find a mentor and you want to ask them to be the mentor, tell them what you expect and then tell them what you're going to do too, that you expect them to help you and you're going to show up every day. Every time you meet, you're going to have X, Y, Z, like an agenda to discuss or questions you're going to ask them. You're not just going to have this transactional relationship where you're just going to ask them to introduce you to someone. Mm-hmm. You really want to have a relationship and engagement with yeah. the person and understand who they are and then get advice. And a great mentor could be someone your age or someone younger or older than you. It doesn't have, there's no rules around it. But I really believe if we could mentor constantly, the mentor will find that sometimes they're learning more from the mentee than they're actually giving to them. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Once I learned how to be a mentor, like I had to decide what that meant because I I wasn't quite sure what that would look like. It's just been the same thing you're describing that I, I feel like I'm getting more than giving. It's just such a fulfilling and educational experience if you allow it to be one. Yeah, and they have so much more energy. Like yeah. if you're in mentoring like a younger yeah. like person who's like, they think of things differently or they'll like sometimes they'll challenge you like, well, why did you let that happen? Why did mm-hmm. you give up? Like they'll say that. And you're like, uh, <laughs> I feel very vulnerable right now. <laughs> I'm supposed to be like this. And then you're like, why did I? Oh, okay. Because I was afraid and I was, and that fear came from this. And you're just like, this was great. You know, let me definitely pay for dinner. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, it's so important. That. It's so important. And I think yeah. any of us who have reached any level of success in our careers have have done so because one or more people took us under our wings. And so to me, I think it just, it goes, you, you have to do it back. You have to, like I said, you get so much out of it. So why not? And I think it's true for folks in like the corporate world, like you're in, but also in entrepreneurship. I think that it's harder in some ways in, in the entrepreneurial world to find those relationships. I think it's super hard in, in the entrepreneurial world because you are working a lot and you are also especially if you're like running everything, you're procuring new business, you're securing new business, you're making sure you're getting paid. Like you're doing so much that that time that you have that you're not doing that usually is reserved for either self-care or your family. That's right. So I think, I always think it's like when you can find an entrepreneur who's really like a great mentor, like you got to, as a mentee, you've got to always come ready and focused because that's a sacrifice for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they can literally be spending more time with their husband or their spouse or their kid. Like that, they're really carving out this special time for you. So respect that time and be prepared. 
do you know Tiffany Dufu who wrote Drop the Ball? She yeah. She's amazing. That book for all mothers and female entrepreneurs should read that book. But she does this thing where she's, she like actually books off like Thursday afternoons or Friday afternoons. And all she does are coffee dates for people that oh, she wants that. to mentor. Like she actually carved out every week a time to go and meet with younger people who want to do whatever. And it was just like so planned and calculated and intentional intentional and so yeah. impactful like what I wouldn't give for an afternoon with Tiffany Dufu I don't know I just thought that was really beautiful and and it was important to her to give back and I don't know I just and now she's actually created like this whole thing around like sort of like a mastermind how would you describe what her business now is Jenny it's like a mastermind, like women gather and, you know, do this thing. So she's kind of taken that and made a whole business out of it. But anyway, you should absolutely check out her work. She's amazing. She's in New York too, I think. Yeah. Is she? I'm going to write it she, down. Yeah, she she was. Do-fu. D-U-F-U. 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 Yeah. Yeah. D-U-F-U. Yeah. She's great. Drop the ball. Love her. All right. Do you want to move into Join Hustle? Let's do it. Jennifer? Okay, Joy. So we end every episode asking our guest for a joy and a hustle. So a joy is anything that's bringing you joy in your life right now. <laughs> She's dancing. I love it. And a hustle is a tool that will help folks hustle in their career or business. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to steal it, guys. We do the peach and pit in our family, which is like what was good and what wasn't so good. I'm going to steal, first of all, because it says joy. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I love it. So what's bringing joy in my life right now? I actually think this precious time we've had with our families mm. to kind of be with them. We complained about it at first, but then there's preciousness in it. The moments that you realize, like I've been spending all day with my kids. I typically spend four hours with them, two in the morning, two at night. And even on the weekends, we have a schedule. So how much quality am I spending with them? I mean, I definitely, I'm surprised at the low number of fights that have occurred because you're just like, we're in it, you know, we're, we're doing it. But I also love the preciousness of seeing how my daughter's actually funny and like <laughs> she is his personality. And so I'm getting a lot of joy despite the last couple of weeks, how unrest, unrestful it's been, how disturbing it's been. <laughs> What's bringing me the most joy is hope. Like I know that I'm raising this positive, smart little person and her friends. If you're like me, you're listening in, even though you're not supposed to, they're little like Zoom calls with their class and how they're talking about things and how they're thinking about things. That's bringing me the most joy because I think that we are turning a corner as a country, as a world. And then generation after the next generation, which will be our kids, they're actually going to be amazing leaders. They're going to change the world. We just have to stay alive to see it happen. But that's giving me so much joy that there is promise and hope. It's not as dire as we would think it is coming out of COVID, you know? Yeah. And then they turn 15 and then you're like, (laughs) and then they turn 15. Like I thought I had a great look, like what the hell happened? But I'll let you stay in that little joy right now. I know. You're like every, all of my friends are like, Joy, that's just because you think that now. (laughs) Okay. My mom even said it. She was like, you were a demon when you were 13. So just, I'm like, why would you put that on me? Why would you even like profess like might profess that? It's gonna like pray that I'm not like she's not like me. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Hustle. Um, And then the hustle, I actually said this to some recent graduates. The hustle tool is this get off your ass. 
Like, don't like. This is. Re- can I say that? Yeah, oh, you like, sure can. That, say it again. <laughs> that like literally get off your ass. Do not sit in your house because and feeling put upon because all this stuff happened. I wish I grew up in the time of Google or YouTube or the fact. Like, I wish I grew up in a time where you can basically make your own website or make your like. This is not a time for you to sit back and say well, who's going to feed me? Who's going to give it to me? Where's the opportunity? Especially recent graduates, you have the best foot forward. You have lived in virtual learning environments for the last 10, 12 years. You know how to do everything that companies are just now trying to figure out how to do, If especially if they're really corporate. They don't know how to do this work from home. They don't know how to manage multiple screens at the same time. They don't know how to keep people feeling engaged when they're not working in the office. You know how to do all of that. You actually are well prepared to be in the world. So get off your ass. Like everybody stop feeling sorry for themselves. There are so many tools out there, so many books out there. You don't know how to do something, research it, figure it out. You don't know how to get in a certain industry. Well, go to LinkedIn and Google people and email them. I'm telling you, they'll respond. So that's my hustle tip. Get off your ass. Like, stop waiting for it to land on your That's lap. That's the best hustle we've had in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I'm just going to take Good. that excerpt and play it for my 15 year old later tonight. Yes. Can you yes. just listen to uh, her? 100%. Yeah. Yes. I'm happy to call them too. And just like, get off your ass. <laughs> yes. I also, you know, say it to every man in my household get off your ass. <laughs> No, but it's true. And it's like, there's, it's so easy and so comfortable to stay in this like victim, poor me, the world is happening to me and I have no control over it. And this, that, you know, all these exterior circumstances are the cause of my feelings. Right. So yeah, yeah, I love it. That's going to be my new motto. I'm not trying to downplay, like there are some serious anxiety and depression things that are happening. I totally get that. But I work in healthcare and every clinician tells me that moving helps you when you are depressed or if you have anxiety. I mean, anxiety is about fear of what's to come. Depression is about fear about what happened. So they're the kind of two sides of the same coin and moving and interacting, thinking helps you, you know, not obviously if you're very clinically depressed and there's other things, but for the most part, what we're describing, people who just want to be like, oh, the world is move, get up. You will feel better. You will be more productive. Ideals will start flowing it will be a great thing for you. Yeah, that's great advice. Yep, Uh love it. Okay, Joy, well, where can folks find you on the web? Yes, you can, my Instagram is Joy Altamare, J-O-Y-A-L-T-I-M-A-R-E. That's the easiest place to find me or LinkedIn, Joy Altamare, same same spelling. Awesome, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thanks for having me, it was so great. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Joy. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free. 